Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. This is a topic I have been wanting to address for a very long time. It's actually the subject of my dissertation. So it's something that is near and dear to my heart. I've thought a lot about. I find it fascinating. And it's a topic that absolutely permeates not only our personal development, but our connections with others, our friends, and certainly our romantic relationships. As we grow and we move from our family of origin to adulthood and independence, there's a process that's called by family systems theorists, individuation from family of origin. And we think about this in adolescence, right? That adolescents have to break free and figure out who they are. And that's absolutely true. And there are other theorists that have spoken to that. Eric Erickson talked about identity versus role confusion as the psychosocial crisis of adolescence. But this is a process that permeates more than just adolescence. It moves with us throughout our 20s and into our 30s and certainly beyond. And it impacts us in terms of our ability to connect with others. So to discuss this and to flesh it out, I wanted to bring Elliot back to the program to talk about what he sees with the couples that he works with. So we'll speak to this from the individual's standpoint and then look at the connections that couples have with each other and where their family of origin connections, their relationships to their mother, father, certainly siblings as well, even in adulthood, may impede their ability to forge that deep intimacy with their partner that they so desire. So Elliot, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. And my background in my graduate work and master's level was family systems as well. And it was right about during that time when I was getting my degree, obviously I'm older than you, when I think you were going through your individuation process as a person. Oh, you had to just go there right away. (laughs) Right off the bat. (laughs) Make it all personal. (laughs) I do have fond memories when I got my master's in clinical psych a couple years after Elliot got his master's in counseling psych, which are very similar, essentially the same, basically how to be a therapist degrees is what we got. And so his work with family systems, he started sharing with me and I was going through my own individuation from my mother and father. And it coincided with a relationship, as a matter of fact, my boyfriend in college. And there was a lot of personal growth and development that I went through. And then when I took those courses a couple of years later, I remember sitting in Warren and Leah. So Warren is our older brother and Leah is his wife. I remember sitting in their apartment with your wife, Angie, and we all five of us were going through some of these family dynamics and these family rules and these family norms that you never can quite get a handle on until you've had some distance from your family. And then with us going, oh, my gosh, have you realized that some of these expectations that that were part of the Anderson family were not part of other people's families, certainly your spouses. And so then when you and Warren were married then to talk about those different expectations and you really start to get this clarity, like I said, once you've been able to separate just a bit. But it's not about just separating and taking off either. So it's it's a delicate dance. Yeah. And I think the you hit on one key topic right off the bat. Maybe we'll start here individuation looks different really for every family. Mm -hmm. So for our family, it had a certain constitution to it, 
but still different from you than it was for me and was for Warren. And each family dynamic, and, and there's a lot of differences in ethnicity. Certain individuation from Hispanic Latino families and African American families is going to be different than a traditional uh, white family in certain cases also. So there's a lot of variables here. But in my marital work now for 30 years, it's the first thing I often talk about. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the word individuation, but just let's look at the family system. Let's look at what's going on in the past. How are you taught to be a man? How are you taught to be a woman? How are you hurt, wounded? And then how did you really feel I'm strong enough or I'm able to be my own person enough to love another? And let's start with just the definition, just so we, we're all on the same page here. So individuation from family of origin is made up of two distinct components. One is the separateness element. And that kind of sounds like the word individuation. You think you individuate, you, you get some distance. So the separateness and connectedness, because in family systems theory, the notion of just separating, that doesn't in fact indicate emotional maturity. Now, separating emotionally is different than separating by moving cross country, for example, because what happens sometimes is people can be very separate from their family and think, well, yeah, I I grew up and I'm independent and I left my family because I'm grown and I'm mature. But what they've done is because they've had what we call a cutoff, an emotional cutoff, they're actually not interacting on an adult level with their family members now, now that they are all in adulthood, adult parents, adult siblings, because they've just cut off. What theorists say is that you're, in fact, emotionally stuck where that cutoff occurred. And that's confusing for people because they think, well, no, I'm not I'm not caught up in my family drama because I'm over here in California. They're out east and we we barely ever talk. And so I'm definitely I've left my family mess behind. And in fact, it's actually counterintuitive. It's actually the opposite. So that closeness element is the other part. The connectedness or closeness to your family is the other part of individuation And so the theory is that high levels of both are optimal for family functioning and certainly for functioning as an independent adult in adulthood and then also for forging those deep, intimate connections with a romantic partner, for example. So what does the closeness look like? Sounds like it's an oxymoron. We're going to be super close and super separate. But that closeness is a renegotiating of the relationship. So you don't have that adolescent energy like my parents are trying to tell me what to do all the time. Yeah, when you're 26 years old and you come home for Christmas, your parents may try to treat you like you're 16 because that's their default mode. They're used to that. But as a 16-year-old might say, I'm out of here and slam the door and stay out till 3 a.m. in this rebellious reaction, a 26-year-old might say something like, okay, mom and dad, I know you're ready to give me the 12 o'clock curfew, but I am 26. So, But with a more measured and calm, mature interaction, so that adult child with the adult parent, that sort of thing. So I'm hoping that that definition helps flesh out what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I think we often get stuck in our individuation. And I can't remember if it's Mnuchin or one of the theorists that talks about in particular, there's like four or five different ways to individuate. And if we individuate through crisis are through severance, as you said, we get stuck. And so we might feel free. We might say, oh, I'm away from the power dynamic, away from the abuse dynamic. But if there's not been holistic healing or working through, that's still going to come right into your relationship. So where I see it happen a lot, and because I talk to more men than women, uh, I see the men who are often said, well, I had to get away. I had to become my own man but I'm still not sure what that old man is. Mm-hmm. And, and so I call it like a, a repressed level of masculinity. They're just not sure. How do I now be different, even though I know I don't want to be like my father exactly and how he was to my mother, but how do I become the man 
I feel called to be when I didn't have that model or didn't have that example. It leads to great insecurity and masculinity. For the women, I, I see it go more into this exuberance of nurturance and caregiving, and they get confused or convoluted, maybe even a stronger word, about, well, how do I take care of my mom and dad still and my new boyfriend? And they get blocked into this enmeshment of caretaking and feel like they can't become totally individually on their own, which then doesn't allow them to be fully available for this new love interest or this new boyfriend. And they feel caught. They feel torn between being a daughter and being a potential wife. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that leads us into a conversation of expectations within the family for role and responsibility. So a young woman like that, again, according to the theory, it should be time for her to start launching. So she's renegotiating those bonds. Well, being close with my mom, what does that mean as a 23, 24-year-old young woman? It's not going to look like being close with my mom when I was 12, and it shouldn't. So what does that mean? And sometimes people get stuck with, well, the way I've loved my mom is to be your best friend, which is inappropriate. We have a violation of hierarchy within the home. And the mom is expecting too much emotional support from her daughter when she should be able to say, okay, she's 23, she's 24, she's got this new boyfriend, she wants to launch into an adult romantic relationship, but the mother doesn't have the wherewithal to go, oh, wait, that means I got to give her a little distance, a little space to free her up to have that nice adult experience now. Maybe that's threatening to mom. Maybe mom and dad don't have the strongest marriage after all these years focusing on their parenting. And so... Mom is not getting the emotional intimacy she should from her husband. So she's going to transfer that to her daughter with expectations that are inappropriate. And so it can get so convoluted and confusing because the daughter is going to think oftentimes she'll feel guilty if she feels like she's abandoning her mother and letting her mother meet her own emotional needs. So what was the responsibility? Some kids are gifted emotionally and they are expected to meet other family members' needs in a way that felt normal to them growing up. But really, with our objective lens, we would say, that's not your responsibility. Yeah, and and since we talk a lot about attachment, if you're anxiously attached to your parents and aren't sure how to navigate that boundary and that role and responsibility, you're likely going to be anxiously attached to your boyfriend or husband as well. And if he's avoidant, then you have the whole dance and everything, just like we've talked about in other episodes. Mm -hmm. And I see that pattern follow a lot, that a lot of anxious attachment does come out of an enmeshment family of origin or a stopgap individuation where we haven't finished healing or holistically gone through that individuation, even if we feel separate. We're certainly not advocating for um, distance. Right. Um, That's not the point, just saying, oh, you got to get away from your parents as much as possible. But many times uh, a young couple will come to me and say, well, I'll just use a a young bride-to-be. She'll say, well, I still talk to my mom an hour every day. And if I ask, well, how much do you talk to your fiance every day? Well, I don't even talk to him every day. There again is just a simple anecdotal look. Well, there's something out of balance there. It's Mm -hmm. not wrong to talk to your mom, but you're trying to build this relationship with this new man and you're feeling a little anxious or insecure about it. And your mom's actually getting more daily conversation and connection with you than your fiance. So there's little real rhythms and little inconsistencies And speaking of individuation, personality theory, Carl Jung brought it into its existence. And what he talks about, of course, is the the idea of understanding our psyche enough that we can put our unconscious into our conscious. And so I think a lot of individuation issues, what we're talking about family system-wise, go back to these unconscious beliefs, these unconscious expectations or disappointments, 
where we are anticipating not feeling secure, not feeling loved, and therefore go right back into this enmeshment, this wandering back and forth between our family of origin and our, our relationship, and neither then are satisfying or fulfilled. And that can also lead into that recapitulation, which we've spoken about before as well. So if I haven't done that work in my family of origin, I'm very likely to take those dynamics and try to get them right in my adulthood with my romantic partner. So the cliched example would be if I had a dad who was unavailable emotionally working all the time or maybe left the family, that avoidant absentee dad, Mm -hmm. then I may try to fix that in my adulthood by trying to find a guy who is also avoidant, but I'll get him to stay with me. And that will make up for and correct what didn't happen in my family of origin. So all of this work that we do, and I try to encourage my single ladies that whatever single season, and for most of those ladies, it's a lot longer than they hoped. And I lived that life. So I'm right there with them. We can, though, the beauty of it is that we can have that space to do some of this reflection and think about this with a group like I offer or with consultations that we offer or a therapist. Do some of this work and it's not wasted time because we get a little bit of a leg up so that we can try to do that emotional growth that's important with our family of origin. And that's going to translate to us stepping into, instead of having this reactionary response and just unaware, like you said, that that uh, that subconscious element of just, I'm looking for a relationship and I'm attracted to this person. And man, I guess intellectually, I can think he's not good for me, but wow, it's just, that's where my heart goes pitter patter. So instead of just having these knee jerk reactions, we can have a better sense of being more thoughtful about those goals for intimacy and romantic partnership And having done some of that work, we're really positioning ourselves to be more just easily attracted to someone who's good for us. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events. And it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free empowered dating playbook. And practically what I've seen a lot, both with uh, couples that aren't married and then couples I work with who are married, even if they've been married 10, 15, 20 years, if they're at a point in the relationship where they're stuck, couples like who have been dating for years and think they want to get married, not sure, can't pull the trigger. There's nothing quantitatively really wrong, but there's a qualitative miss, mm. uh, a lack of depth or, or feeling that that oneness that allows you to feel free to go forward. Or that couple has been married 15, 20 years and they feel kind of stuck. They still love each other, but there's something missing. Often as a therapist, I'm just going right to that family of origin individuation process again, doing some family constellation work. Mm-hmm. What are the unconscious beliefs? What were the messages? What were the rules? Because even when we're in our 40s and 50s, we can mm-hmm. still be stuck, even if our parents are gone, even if they've already gone to, to meet the Lord. I mean, there's there's times when those individuation matters are so significant. Uh, it's really worthy of any couple to walk through. But if you're in particular at a place where you feel stuck or you're fighting through some things that we could say common sense wise should be easy, 
Mm-hmm. But in your mind, in your soul, based on your vision and your containment, you can't seem to make these uh, decisions that would be logically supporting your new relationship rather than a sibling relationship or something that matters. So I, I've worked with one uh, woman who felt so trapped by the rest of her siblings, even though they're all good people, that they didn't like any of her boyfriends ever. And she was fulfilling so many responsibility and roles, helping all of them. I just help her to see they can't have you have a significant relationship because then they lose the free nanny. They lose the free cook. They lose the free chauffeur. And and she loved that role, but it was Mm -hmm. inhibiting her because she had not individuated from not only her parents, but her siblings. She was the youngest, of course. She had Mm -hmm. individuated from those siblings in order to find her own self. And she gained great insight and freedom when she just viewed herself differently. She didn't change any of her love for her family. She's still super involved, but now she feels some individuation. It is healthy for me. It is okay for me to make a decision that they would say is selfish. And I know it's not. It's just a healthy boundary to pursue some things I'm interested in. You're going to have to find someone else to take the kids to daycare this week. And this woman was in her 30s or 40s. Right. So just to give that context as to what we're talking about, that these issues can absolutely continue to be a part of our daily dynamics. And she's just thinking, well, I'm just being a good sister and I want to be bonded with my nieces and nephews. And her siblings are just like you said, enjoying the free babysitting. And also the pure part of that is, oh, I love to see my, my sibling have a connection with my kids. And all of that is in and of itself is great to have a close family where it becomes problematic is when those siblings and again, they're not trying to be devious or, well, we're just going to let's all get together. And whenever so and so brings a guy home, we're going to hate him. That'll keep her single. And then she'll be available to us the way we like it. Right. No one's consciously putting this together. But what happens is because that role has become so fixed, they like that. And this is one of the things that I say that people kind of bristle when I say this, but that your family can love you dearly, but they can never get their own needs and desires and wants out of that love. They really can't be objective. So that concern that, wow, my my parents never like my boyfriends or my siblings never like my boyfriends. As therapists, we have to help the, the person who's coming to us for support say, okay, well, let's step out of this like you did. Might there be that their agenda conflicts with you finding love and partnership because it's going to threaten the status quo of these dynamics of these relationships. It's going to threaten the connection they have, the babysitting. And again, I'm not trying to paint family members as selfish and evil, but family members oftentimes impede each other's growth because they're not aware of this and they have their own selfish desires. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's the flip of this, of course, that if you're dating guys that continually abuse you, and you have sisters or brothers or parents saying, man, you got to get out of this. That's a different level of of connection. That's super important. I often talk to young people when I'm training students or brand new 21 year old getting ready to get married about how important it is to get a read or a vibe about how your very best friends and family feel about this guy or girl. That's important. So we're not saying this your family no matter what, but we're talking about these enmeshment patterns that can develop over time or in just history. And conflictually just the idea of someone not talking to their mom every day when they've been doing that for six, seven, eight years, and yet it's getting in the way it's impeding potential relationship. Or as I talk to young people about all the time, one of the family of origin, separation, individuation things I talk about in premarital work is who are you talking to first when something really important happens? Mm -hmm. 
And you need to get to the point where you're talking to your boyfriend or girlfriend or your fiance first. Mm-hmm. It's not bad to call mom or dad or brother or sister. But if your first thought automatically is, oh, I got to talk to mom, not I got to talk to my, my babe. That's an indication that there's probably not the level of individuation quite secure yet yeah. that is needed. And theologically, in Genesis 2.24, when God's ordaining marriage, this is the language you use in the Hebrew. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and mm-hmm. cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's that leave-cleave oneness. And the leaving in Hebrew culture was much different than ours. It was We're talking about in the patriarchal days, nomadic culture. But they would literally leave their house and like go and live with the fiance's house and learn their trade and their family just to prove and show they were committed and betrothal on that day was the same as marriage and you could be stoned if you cheated on someone even in the engagement period so this leaving context is spiritual is what i'm saying it's not just psychological it's not just family systems we need to tether to to be intimate invested in as primary our spouse or our boyfriend girlfriend if it's getting to the committed level of fiance level above that of our parents and that's really hard for some family systems to handle some reject it completely reject it and will hate your spouse even as they're the threatening to break up this can be very uh, acidic and abusive family system do you ever get the chance to work with the parents of your young couples you work with very rarely because that would seem so helpful to me yeah very rarely because I think those parents need some reframes. It just... did happen. In fact, you're just stirring my brain. You know how my memory is. Um, I did get a call. I, I do get this on occasion. I get a call from an angry parent. Oh, sure. Did you tell my daughter this? Did you tell my son that? So that does happen mm-hmm. once in a while. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a great opportunity to try to just calmly speak some truth and understanding mm-hmm. and even explain to them mm-hmm. systemically why I'm encouraging their son or daughter to stand up in a particular area. Mm-hmm. A lot of that comes with wedding preparation. Oh, sure. When the moms are really dictating to the children, especially when they're younger couples, about what's going to happen. Well, and if the parents are paying for it, then we have another element. That's- is, it's another whole element. So you got to talk about whose <laughs> wedding like, is right. it? Who's, yeah, and those are very... Like, I guess it's mine because I'm cutting the checks. <laughs> <laughs> the mom's like, see, so... Yeah. Well, you know, in my heart, I'd say, well, then I'll go get married in a barn yes. and I'll pay for it myself because I'm not going to... Barn chic is in. Well, that is true. That's not the point exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but those are significant issues. So yeah. that's what happens more often. Obviously, in crisis family work, then you get the whole family in there. And can see a bunch of different levels, but rarely is that with like five adults. That's almost always with parents and younger kids. So mm-hmm. not quite as um, specifically. I still have dreams of us moving back to a more family systems model in general with therapists. And I think it has to do with insurance, not wanting to pay because a, a therapist is going to charge a little bit more if they've got seven people in the room. And I don't think insurance companies love that. And of course, Big Pharma just wants to medicate everything anyway. But going back to grad school, I remember seeing like Jay Haley and Mnuchin and they yeah. would have 10, 12 people in a room it was really cool. and really being able to, like you mentioned the family constellation, really being able to do family work where they'd say, okay, so here's mom standing there. And then they would tell the daughter, go and stand next to mom and then have mom lay on her because you're basically forcing your daughter to carry your emotional needs, like just to play it out yeah. visually and how powerful that can, yeah, yeah, to have those emotional dynamics to concretize them in a physical manner. And then the mom goes, I don't want to do this to my daughter. Like when she sees like you're putting all your weight, your emotional weight on your daughter who's 25 and she's trying to launch and figure out who she is and have adult healthy yeah. relationships. The mom realizing she's leaning on her daughter like that goes, oh, I don't want to do that. Sometimes that very concrete example but we don't get a lot of that anymore. 
Um, yeah, let me give a concrete representation of a lack of individuation that might help your listeners. That's great. So if since most of them are women, again, I'll use a female example. So if you are doing to your boyfriend or fiance or husband what your mother did to you and you hated mm. and you keep doing it, that's a good good sign that you have not individuated enough from what happened with your mom or is still happening with your mother and you're passing that right on. Paul says this in Corinthians, we do the things we hate to do. We do yeah. things we don't want to do. That's exactly what's taking place. And couples ask me that all the time. I can't believe I keep doing this to my husband. That's exactly what I didn't want to do or to my boyfriend because my mom did to me. And then I say, well, have you forgiven her? Have you healed from mm-hmm. that? Have you worked through that piece or even told your mom ever mm-hmm. that that really bothers you and hurts your feelings? And most of the time the answer is no. Would this be nagging or being critical or, or shaming or yeah, all those realms. nitpicking? Like yeah. Anything, like, I'm anything just- in that realm where it's, it's like we are saying things and doing things to try to build emotional guilt manipulation. Mm-hmm. You know, well, if you really loved me, yeah, okay. you would pick your shoes up every night. Right. And he's like, well, I do love you, but I don't really worry about my shoes. Yeah. It's that kind of thing where it's important. I'm not saying that's, I mean, that can be really irritating, but I'm saying <laughs> it's important, but it's not like he's cheating on you. Right, right. It's just responding in these, do you love me? If you do, it's conditional. If you did, you'd call me every day. Like I call my mom on the day. You should call me every day. You're passing on these things. Passing poison is what we call it in therapy. You're passing the poison on mm. rather than getting away from the poison mm-hmm. or being free from the poison or healed from the poison. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. So I think of it oftentimes, I think what we're speaking to is you think about emotional bandwidth. So if I have a client who is in her late 30s, early 40s, and she is a professional She's got a full-time job. She's got her her life, her hobbies, her activities. And if she's spending, say, for example, five nights a week, dinner with mom and dad, five nights, I'm thinking right away, that's an enormous amount of bandwidth that's going to mom and dad. And this is not a situation, it could be where there would be, oh my gosh, but mom and dad are getting older and I got to take care of them. Of course, then we look at the family dynamics. Are there other siblings who feel that same urgency or has that been her role, right? Often, that she, often it's individual, yes. Right, this yeah. is the one who takes care of mom and dad so the rest of the siblings can go out and do whatever and, and be like, oh, well, Jenny's taking care of them so we don't have to worry about it, right? But I'm always concerned now getting back to the single women. I'm thinking, do you have any emotional bandwidth left to then pursue a adult relationships that would be important for you because 38-year-old women and 42-year-old women need to hang out with others to have that community Mm -hmm. of people who understand what they're going through and what their life is like. And then I'm also concerned about the romantic relationships. If you are still so emotionally tethered to your parents, are you freed up to even have the emotional bandwidth to find someone? And then here's my other thought. So say a woman in this situation and maybe we'd say to her, like, let's let's try to look at what we just talked about, the bandwidth. But she might feel a deep sense of guilt, Elliot. What would mm-hmm. you tell her? Because she'd be like, well, my mom and dad need me. And I'm my mom's best friend. And if I 
start putting up some boundaries and, and some distance, my mom's going to be miserable. She might get depressed. She might leave my father. Their marriage could tank. What, what if she's suicidal? I mean, people can get to a spot Absolutely, of yeah. really feeling that if they make a shift in their behavior, which you and I would say, and that's developmentally appropriate and it's healthy for their own growth and development and their desire to have partnership, but they may feel so bound by the guilt if they would try to make that move. What do you say to that? Yeah, I try to reframe the need. The need is true and the need is their reality. The parents need. Yeah, both. Obviously, if you're doing that, you need it too. Okay, well, so flesh I'm, that out for a moment. Yeah, so I'm going to reframe both. You okay. are, Even if you are being manipulated and guilted into doing it, you are choosing, we're going back to Young's psyche, you are choosing unconsciously to be okay with that. So you need to be parented in a way or you need to be controlled in a way or you need to feel honored in this way that need you need to be are, needed. Absolutely. You need to be the one to do it. And you don't even ask your siblings to do it. You're just like, I got it. I got the martyr tag. I'm wearing it good. Got a big M on my back. So trying to reframe the need in perspective, saying, hey, you must need as much as they do. So let's quit blaming them for it. And let's mm-hmm. talk about what the real need is. Mm-hmm. Get underneath it. What's the real need? What do you need from this? And then give it another perspective flip to say, well, your parents actually need you to change to help them. Mm. they can't work on their own issues. They can't prepare even for retirement or living on their own if you don't help them. So you have to put it in a position of you need to help them grow, help them change. And most of the time, this sounds so absurd to even say it, most of the time adults who get stuck in this, mm-hmm. especially adult women I see who get stuck in this, as much as they get mad at their men for being married to their work, they're married to their original families. Mm. And they get stuck in that and then compete in that And they've just never felt the courage or strength to actually talk to their parents or their mom or their dad individually and say, hey, this is too much or I just need to change. And I don't think I'm helping you guys as well. And just be honest and open and goes back to that whole family dynamic that wasn't allowed or that wasn't encouraged or you weren't allowed to have your own thoughts or perspective or time schedule or framing. They've just accepted it in this unconscious psyche repression that this is normal. This is okay Mm -hmm. to give my parents 30 hours a week of my time as an adult. Right. Then they mix in, this is what it means to love my parents. Loving my parents means I'm at their beck and call and they're five days a week. And so to reframe, what does it mean to love as an adult child with adult parents? And I love that reframing piece, especially if someone has that helper role and they're like, I'm the one to help mom and dad. Then you reframe it and say, actually, the at this stage of your development and their development as a couple, the most helpful thing to do is to give them space to turn toward each other again. (laughs) Because if the adult child is so involved, it is taking up their bandwidth as a couple. And that is not helping them grow close in this season of their life as a couple. They should be, okay, we raised our kids, check. Now we get to have that second honeymoon period. So sometimes that reframe of helping the helper child to see that actually the most helpful thing to do is for them to actually create that distance a bit and create that boundary. Yeah, a good therapist is going to take the language the client gives them and redefine it. Mm-hmm. So if they feel this is how I love my parents, this is how I help my parents, then we're going to redefine what does love really mean? What does help really mean? Mm-hmm. And where's the end goal? Is the goal to be in this couple with your parents forever? Right. Then just go ahead and move in. You know, and don't worry about having your own place. Save the money. I mean, that sounds dramatic. And some families that's expected and and happens. And there's some cases, of course, again, I'm trying to be sensitive to listeners issues where truly someone is very sick. Right. And and you are called in at that level and Mm -hmm. it's necessary. So I just don't want people to think we're extremists. But it leads me to another reframe that I think is really important. And I try to share whenever I'm this issue comes to light in a consultation is that 
when we're dealing with an enmeshed family, and, and we would argue that the examples we've talked about with the young woman who's got to be everything for every adult sibling and parents, and this young woman I'm talking about who's got to be the best friend to her parents, that enmeshment feels close. So getting back to the individuation, but because there's not that appropriate level of separateness in conjunction with the closeness, what we're really seeing is pseudo intimacy. Yeah, They feel close. But enmeshment is not closeness. Mm -hmm. It's actually pseudo intimacy. And this is why. Because if I don't have a sense of distinct self, no one can be intimate with me because I don't know who I am. So I'm Mm -hmm. porous. And so we see this with young couples, of course, because they haven't had the time and and they haven't Mm -hmm. carved out the space to figure out who they are. They fuse together and they have what feels very intense, but it's what you have when you're 15 and you have puppy love. And it feels very intense, but it's not true intimacy. It's yeah. something else. It's, Sym- symbiosis, not interdependence. Right. And <laughs> right. And this yeah. can and so the the my other reframe I love to share, which I hope is empowering, is that when you do the hard work and you know, when you extricate yourself from that enmeshment, there will be kicking and screaming. When we change the moves of the dance of connection, we can't change anyone else's dance steps, but by us changing our dance steps, mm-hmm. it's going to cause fallout and there is usually a backlash of why are you betraying me you're betraying our family you don't love me anymore but when we do that we push through that very difficult period and then we can have true intimacy in a way that we never had before a daughter who is still being the caretaker for everyone doesn't have true intimacy because they don't fully respect her. Mm -hmm. She's being used, essentially. She's playing a role. Nor does she respect herself. Exactly. So we create the opportunity for true self-respect, which then, of course, we teach people how to treat us. Mm -hmm. I think that's Dr. Phil or someone else. But when we do that, I guess another reframe is that, yes, you're going to feel like you're betraying them. Yes, you're going to feel guilty. But what you're doing, you're actually helping every family member. We're raising the emotional health of the entire family system. So again, for someone who's an intense helper, you are doing the most helpful thing for your entire family. What a beautiful reframe and opportunity for true intimacy to be developed. That's another really good point in therapy is we have to help the clients see what's going to happen. Both the negative, the fallout, the backlash, the guilt, the manipulation, the sarcastic comments that can last a while, but also how to know what's coming, how the hope and the growth and the development and the new relationship will become established. And ultimately, you're going to respect yourself so much better. You're actually going to be in a better available emotional place to have a new relationship, not one bound on guilt and shame. And if you just stay consistent in your healthy love, that love's going to be redefined pretty quickly. We're talking about families. Mm -hmm. And most time, unless there's abuse involved, it doesn't take as long as we think. Okay, that's we're, good we're to know. We're petrified yeah. that, oh my right. gosh, well, my mom's already 70. If I try to reroute this, well, mm-hmm. I won't get it healthy until heaven. But many times, especially if the need is articulated and it's clear and it's understood with grace and truth and love and hugs and kisses and whatever else, it's going to change pretty quickly. We fear something that we haven't expressed. We fear something that hasn't even been out on the table yet. And then we play through our mind all the possibilities how this is going to be the worst thing in the world. And again, you got to discover why am I not willing to stand up for myself? Why am I not willing to make this relationship better and stronger and get out of the enmeshment for true intimacy, true growth, and so I can pursue my own romantic interest and not be stuck in this perpetual role? And I think the deep fear beneath all of it for that family member who has been meeting everyone else's needs is that if I'm not meeting their needs, will they still love me? Yeah. And will I still be needed? 
Right. And yeah. right. And if I'm not needed, I won't be loved. I won't have a place in this family even. And that's so terrifying that it's like, okay, let me just keep meeting people's needs. But again, that's the reframe is the opportunity to say, wow, I pulled back. I'm not just their messenger or their errand runner or babysitter. I'm not just mom's best friend. I pulled back and yeah, they still do want to connect with me and they still do want. And now I can experience true intimacy. There will be intense loneliness, anxiousness and challenge when it first happens because it is a powerful systemic change. Like you said, the dance has been a certain way for a long time and all of a sudden new music's on, new dance steps are required. <laughs> so I don't want any of your listeners to think, oh, I can just go after this and it'll be, I'll be happy the whole time. No, you might go through your own intense depression, mm-hmm. uh, seasonal anyway, and, and go through a time where you're really questioning yourself. And again, that's why it's so important to walk through that with a professional or at least a, someone you trust who can walk through that with you, understands this. and Because it is going to be a hard change for you too, personally. It's going to be a big difference. Mm-hmm. and preparing them to even have some outside interest involved, not just dating, but to be able to go get needs met in some other ways for a while, even go volunteer somewhere for a little bit. So you have some of that mm-hmm. uh, happy, healthy rhythm in you still fulfilled while you're changing the family dynamic. It reminds me of when I was in grad school, we talked about in psychodynamic class, we talked about defense mechanisms serve a, a purpose. And I remember my professor being really clear about a therapist might have this moment of insight and see this defense mechanism and be prepared to challenge a client to take away that defense mechanism. Now, that's a great idea in theory, mm-hmm. but that's been a crutch. And we don't rip away a crutch unless we have something else to support it until the healing has happened. So like you're saying, if this helper role has been so well mm-hmm. ingrained, well, then let's, yeah, let's get some intentional volunteer work so I can still feel that energy of giving yeah. in now an appropriate way. Or like you said, doing this work with a group or with a dear friend who you can trust because they're going to be those moments that feel very dire and dark. Yeah, very naked and vulnerable. You're going to yeah. feel out of your own rhythm, let alone change the rhythm of your family dynamic. And again, I can't stress this enough, unless your parents are really abusive or your siblings, I mean, true abusiveness, articulating and explain to them why you're doing something, what you're doing it for, all the mutual benefits involved, Scripture, prayer, anything else you need to bring on top of it is, is not only the right thing to do, it's probably the necessary thing to do to not just with, withdraw yourself or pull out of a system without telling anybody. It's like going out of a speeding car 90 miles per hour and tell your mom goodbye and jump out the window. You're not only going to perish, your mom's going to perish. <laughs> There's got to be some opportunity. We're, we're so afraid of those conversations mm-hmm. and, and, and those fears are unfounded 90% of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. No, and I remember that from family systems class as well. And it gets back to what we talked about at the beginning. Just that cutoff may feel just easier, right? I, I just, I'm going to cut off because I can't take the pressure and the expectations anymore. But that is actually the less healthy, less mature, emotionally speaking, move. And like we talked about, you can be stuck wherever you were emotionally when you cut off. And it's the harder road, but it's the road that really brings true healing and true intimacy. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. 
I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May. Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. There's also a lack of individuation sometimes within the couple. Yeah. You know, that lack of interdependence that you and I preach so regularly. You just pass that enmeshment system to your new spouse or your new Mm -hmm. boyfriend, girlfriend, and then you lack individuation there as well. Mm-hmm. So individuation doesn't have to be just family of origin, though it comes out of family systems. I've seen a lack of individuation, lack of interdependence within couples all the time. And again, that'll make things so confusing. Even if you've been dating for a long time, you're like, do we have marital love? Do we not have marital love? We're like best friends, but we're not. You know, it's just that mm-hmm. it brings this confusion because there's not a separation. The growth has been like a uh, two boulders coming together and just smashing together rather than slowly growing together and building a pinnacle of understanding and oneness. It just takes time. The whole need to pace, kind of do your own checks of how am I doing? How am I feeling? Just the self-awareness. It takes a ton of self-awareness and willingness to dive in. I think we could do an entire episode just on what does true intimacy look like Mm -hmm. in a couple, in a marriage, and really speak to that. And it's going to be a little bit different for each couple has their own kind of rhythm that they appreciate. Someone like me who got married at 42, mm-hmm. I probably like a little more independence in my marriage than maybe someone who got married at 22. It's hard to say. Yeah. There's some independent 20-year-olds, but it's how we're wired individually. And obviously, we're looking for a good fit. But I think that it's pretty clear in the in the marriage research that the interdependence is the dynamic that tends to lead to the most happiness, fulfillment, success, quote unquote, in a marriage. And it's and not I, easy to find. How do I get that if I'm in a marriage right. or a relationship is not there? How do I now get it? Because that takes a lot of time and energy and conversation and lack of fear. and. Well, you mentioned before that some of your couple of your couples were willing to come on with us sometime and just talk it out. I think that'd be really fascinating for listeners to hear a real couple talk about their real struggles. And uh, then you can kind of make some commentary. And sure. Yeah. So that'd be great. Yeah, or the uh, live live podcast with some of my students. Yeah, I think that's coming down the pike too. Yeah, so yeah, maybe we can choose intimacy. How do you build true intimacy in a relationship? Maybe that'd be a great topic. Yeah, for a bunch of young people. Mm-hmm. It's so. interesting, Karen. I, I speak at a um, a church this Friday on a marriage event uh, over oh, in cool. Ni- over Niles, Jason Acres Church. Oh, and it's interesting because Jason and I are going back and forth about what's the right topic. What'll be helpful? And we talked about expectation and beliefs and everything else, and then Jason did what a pastor should do. He surveyed his people (laughs) like what do the people (laughs) want to hear and so here's this wide variety of people have been married some a long time some relatively new you have to be married though for this particular they have single events they have all kinds of other stuff going on but it just came back communication wow it goes all the way back just to the foundational communication just come give us some good stuff about how do i communicate authentically holistically healthy appropriate spiritually how do I identify my needs? How do I share my needs? How do I explore my, those are, it was just interesting. I just yeah. found it as a therapist for a long time, just 
Hey, just come talk about communication. You don't want anything specialized or fancy. <laughs> right, no, right. just talk to about communication. But it probably all starts there and ends there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's wrap up this conversation. And like we said, we've got a lot more coming down the road. So right. leave us with some prayer. I will. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to talk about individuation and talk about the opportunity and the help and the growth and development for us to individuate from our parents, from our siblings, from our family of origin, not that they're evil or wrong or sinful, Lord, just that we need our new space, our own space, our own individuation, our own interdependence. And we are following the biblical model that your word teaches that as it ordained marriage in Genesis. So pray for all the listeners out there who have been provoked or prodded or challenged by this conversation or identified something in their own relationship or their own self and they desire a healthy change. Give them courage to face these fears and to communicate, authentically communicate to their parents or family what they need and what's going on and and where they need to go and to develop to, to get the space and the growth and the help they need. It's such an important step and if they're don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend yet and pursuing that action or they're involved in a relationship that's heading to marriage already, Lord, just make it clear to them what they need to do to get this appropriate boundary in place that'll help change their lives forever. Amen. Amen. The love and life hack for this week is, how's your relationship with your family? Are you close, but maybe too close? Are you cut off and perhaps emotionally stuck? And how are your relationships with family members, especially your parents, how are these relationships perhaps impacting your pursuit of love? Thank you, as always, for joining us today. We love connecting with you. Also, Elliot and I are for hire. If you'd like us to come to your group or organization and speak on topics about dating, relationships, marriage, all the things, we would love to join you. Check out my website, loveandlifemedia.com for more details. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Abril, And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen anderson Abril.